This week on Geeksplained, it's the final installment of Joketober. And it's also Halloween! To celebrate, we're following up last year's watch-along of IT Chapter 1 with a watch-along about a different kind of clown. So join us for the Geeksplained Halloween special as we travel back to 1989 with Tim Burton's Batman. <laughs> Welcome back to Geeksplain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we explain it. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is Halloween! This is your Halloween 2019 edition of the Geeksplain podcast, and uh, happy Halloween, everybody. I'm really excited about today's episode. Uh, we are going to be following up last year's Halloween watch-along, where we watched... It Chapter 1, and it was terrifying, and I didn't enjoy it, uh, with a film that I am much more excited about to watch, and that is Tim Burton's Batman 89, starring Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. Really excited about this. We are wrapping up Joketober with one of the best uh, Joker stories, that being the weirdly um, infamous... Jack Napier into Joker performance by uh, Jack Nicholson. Jack, Jack, and Jack. Um, this is iconic. You know, Jack Nicholson's... I keep wanting to say Jack Napier's. Jack Nicholson's Jack Napier is, really was kind of the uh, standard bearer for a long time when it came to uh, the Joker in live action. Of course, you know, he would get some competition later on with... Heath Ledger, uh, both of them would, you know, get a real run of their money from Jared Leto. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't even say that with a straight face. Uh, Jared Leto happened, and then uh, Joaquin Phoenix now has thrown his hat into the ring. So, watching this again, uh, I'm really excited. I haven't watched this in a couple years. It's been a while since I've watched this film, and I'm really excited to spend Halloween watching it with you all. Uh, so today's episode, this week's episode, is going to be a little bit uh, different when it comes to format. Normally we do the news into our main event, our main course, then this week's Comics Countdown, or uh, no, then it's... God, I, I can't even remember the order of my own podcast... Um, it's uh, the weekly review and then this week's comics countdown followed by our wrap up but this week we are going to be doing it a little bit differently because I know the watch along is going to be a while it is a near two hour film so we're going to get all of the segments out of the way before we get into that so we'll be going news then weekly review then comics countdown into our main course you're getting like three different appetizers or it's like a cocktail course an appetizer course and a salad course 
I don't know why I started doing these like um, restaurant analogies. I think I've been working in the restaurant business too long. Anyway, really excited about today's uh, episode. Really excited about watching this film. But before we jump into all of that, let's talk about this week's news. Alright guys and dolls, we've got some news to talk about this week. Some pretty big news, actually. Um, We have our four categories, of course, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. Uh, We're going to kick off with miscellaneous news, because that's the smallest bit of news that we have, besides comics, where we have no news. Uh, With miscellaneous news, uh, Last of Us. The Last of Us Part 2, unfortunately, has been delayed until May of 2020 it was originally supposed to come out in february uh the team over at naughty dog did basically drop to everybody that uh there's a reason like they want to do some tweaks they want to make sure that the game is pretty much as perfect as can be and i absolutely respect that i really want them to do as good a job on this game as everyone wants them to do it being the follow-up to a game that a lot of people call a masterpiece and the perfect game etc etc so i'm hoping to uh have good news when it comes to that game coming out but i definitely respect naughty dog for wanting to really take the right amount of time to perfect the game so that does it for miscellaneous moving on to film news we've got three pieces for you here uh first off this is either good news or terrible news depending on how you look at it and how you uh view the creative team behind game of thrones but it was announced that Uh, Benioff and Weiss, who were the showrunners of Game of Thrones on HBO, were supposed to be doing a new trilogy when it comes to Star Wars, and a lot of people kind of point to that as the reason that they rushed through the last two seasons of Game of Thrones, because they really wanted to just get to their Star Wars gig. Well, uh, it was officially announced that that trilogy is no longer happening. Uh, Benioff and Weiss are no longer going to be part of this uh, supposed Star Wars trilogy, this coming off of the heels of Kevin Feige being brought in to help out the Star Wars franchise, uh, I want to say like last month. But this is really interesting, and I think it's ironic. I think, because you could tell that Benioff and Weiss were very uh, excited about the prospect of working on Star Wars, so much so that they let the quality of the show that they that really put them on the map slip by them. And now that that's really not uh, in their future anymore, you got to think that there's no real... Uh, there's no real reason why game of thrones should have been as uh, poorly received as it was i i don't really have a an opinion on this i like certain things about the last two seasons of game of thrones i dislike certain things as well uh this sucks for the two of them we know that they uh been thinking about this for a while and they seemed really excited to be working on this but hopefully that just means that they're bringing in people who uh are better suited for what 
they want to do with the franchise. Moving on to two pieces of news, two official casting confirmations. Uh, we had had rumors about these before that we have covered on this podcast, but first off, starting with The Batman, uh, directed by um, Matt Reeves. I don't know why I forgot that name for a second. Uh, directed by Matt Reeves, starring uh, Robert Pattinson as The Batman with... Um, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman and Paul Dano as the Riddler. We have official confirmation that Jeffrey Wright, who for a lot of people uh, was put on the map by Hunger Games. For me, what really got me onto him was uh, Westworld. I was really excited when the rumor started going around that he might be portraying a character in this film. And it has been confirmed that he will be playing Commissioner James Gordon. Really excited about this. Uh, we talked, I think I mentioned last week, about um, kind of wanting to see Mark Marin in the role, because I think he would kill it. But I think Jeffrey Wright is a fantastic actor and is going to do a lot with this character. Really excited to see what he does with this. And then moving on to Wonder Woman 1984. It feels like we have been waiting for... 10 years for this film to come out, and it's going to be another 10 before we get to it. Uh, but it does come out next year, and Patty Jenkins has confirmed officially that Pedro Pascal will be playing Maxwell Lord. Maxwell Lord has a lot of uh, history with Wonder Woman and with DC Comics as a whole, so I'm really excited to see what he brings to the film and if we are going to get the... Um, how do I say this gently? Um, brutal neck snapping that Wonder Woman gave him in Infinite Crisis, or the lead up to Infinite Crisis, that uh, we all deserve to see. So that does it for film news. Moving on to TV news, because TV news has the most stuff. We're going to be talking about this. Kicking it off with Obi-Wan Kenobi. He ha has a solo uh, series coming to Disney Plus that is going to be starring Ewan McGregor who will be finally reprising his role for the first time pretty much since um, Revenge of the Sith I think so really excited about that we got our first details on that show uh, Ewan McGregor has confirmed through interviews that they that it is placed in between episode three and episode four which we pretty much all knew uh, we also now know that filming doesn't start for the show until summer of 2020 so don't expect it until 2021 at the earliest and then also he has really expressed this uh, desire to get his Obi-Wan closer to Alec Guinness's original portrayal of the character. And I'm really excited to see how he makes that transformation because they are, while the DNA between them is very close, uh, they are two pretty distinctly different versions of the character. So I'm really interested to see what he does with the role. I'm excited with this. Uh, we know that it's gonna be six hour long episodes. Really, really looking forward to it. It's going to be good stuff. Also, moving on to uh, another Game of Thrones piece of news. Uh, the prequel, the big prequel that was supposed to be taking place like a thousand years or something before the events of the current Game of Thrones books and show, uh, it's been scrapped. 
It has been completely scrapped. It's gone. We're not getting it. But do not fret, uh, Game of Thrones fans, because there is good news later on in this segment. Um, and then we go to one of my most excited... Uh, I'm just really, really excited about this. Uh, rumor is. Rumor is. It hasn't been officially confirmed yet, but it's a pretty strong possibility right now that they are that the CW and DC is developing a Lois and Clark show featuring um, Tyler Hoechlin as Superman and Betsy Tulloch as Lois Lane. We have seen them from Supergirl and the Elseworlds crossover last year, and they are going to be reprising their roles in uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. So I'm really excited about this. I love Tyler Hoechlin's version of the character. I really think that he can carry his own show, and I'm excited to see what they do with him. Um, but I will have to say they need to revamp his costume because looking at Brandon Routh now with his new Superman costume for Crisis, uh, they're going to have to, they're going to have to move some stuff around to make Tyler Hoechlin's Superman suit look a bit better. Uh, specifically like the cape attachments. I've heard this before from other people. Uh, it looks kind of silly. But that would agree. So I'm hoping that they revamp his costume for the new show. Maybe uh, they'll take what they've learned from Brandon Routh's new Superman costume and implement it there with the show. But you know me. I'm a Superman fan. I love that character, and I'm really excited at the prospect of him getting another show. But the big news of the week, the one that I want to end our news segment on, is HBO Max. Uh, HBO Max is the oncoming uh, HBO streaming service that's going to be dropping next year. Uh, they had a big press event on the Warner Brothers Studios lot to let everyone know that, hey, this is what we've got cooking. And they came out swinging, uh, along with basically saying that every Batman and Superman film will be featured on the streaming service because HBO is, of course, part of Warner Brothers. Um tons of hbo original content uh there's a couple things that they signified that they announced that i'm really excited about personally uh first off we mentioned it earlier game of thrones is officially getting its real sequel and it is going to be called house of the dragon this i'm assuming is going to be somewhere in the past i think they said somewhere between 100 to 500 years before the events of the current show, but it is going to be all about House Targaryen, which means we're getting dragons, folks. Lots and lots of dragons. That's going to be showing up. Really excited about that. Uh, they also mentioned, just as an aside here, that uh, specific shows like Doom Patrol are going to be uh, getting its second season on the streaming service, which kind of leads me to believe that uh, DC Universe is going to be going away pretty soon, at least in its current format. Uh, it might just be, it might just become like a, a comics app because of their huge comics library on there. But I'll keep you guys informed as I uh, become informed about stuff. But I'm hoping that more shows besides uh, Doom Patrol. I'm I'm ecstatic about Doom Patrol. I love Doom Patrol. And I'm glad that even if uh, DC Universe does go away, that it will be showing up on uh, HBO Max. But um, I'm hoping that more shows get carried over as well. So that was also announced. And then the big, the big stuff, the big stuff for me at least, 
Um, HBO announced that two new DC properties are going to be coming strictly to HBO Max. And that is one, Strange Adventures, which we've been getting conflicting reports about. Um, in certain press releases, they've been talking about this being like an anthology film, kind of a uh, DC version of the Marvel's comic book, which uh, chronicled the lives of normal people in a world full of superheroes. So that's essentially what some of the press releases have talked about Strange Adventures being, basically being an anthology show about normal people reacting to stuff going on in the DC universe. But at the same time, we've also gotten some press releases that pitch it a little closer to um, the comic book of the same name that's going to be coming out next year by Tom King, Mitch Jarrett, and Doc Shaner, which stars Adam Strange. Uh, so we don't exactly know which one is real, which one, because they're very, two very different uh, concepts, but we'll see. I'm sure they'll uh, clarify this as the months go by. And then the big one, the big one that's been dominating all the headlines so far this week is that HBO Max will be introducing a Green Lantern show. Uh, Executive produced by Greg Berlanti, who is the mastermind behind the uh, Arrowverse, the, C the DCCW-verse. I'm really excited about this. Uh, really excited. They, From rumors is that we're getting $100 million per episode, so we're talking big money stuff, which Green Lantern obviously needs. I'm really excited about this. This looks like it's going to be um, shaping up to be fantastic. I'm hoping that Jeff Johns, even though he's taken less and less of a role of a prominent role in uh in dc as the time goes by i'm hoping that he gets to have some kind of hand in this because you know that jeff johns has a love for green lantern and um i'm really excited about this i'm really excited we've been waiting for uh any kind of green lantern stuff for a long time for a while there was supposed to be a green lantern core film in 2020 but we know for a fact that's not happening and um Apparently, rumor is as well that this show would be folded into the larger film universe, so it wouldn't be part of the Arrowverse, even though Berlanti is running it, and it wouldn't be like an alternate story. It would be basically putting whoever the Green Lantern is in the same realm as Momoa's Aquaman, Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman, etc., etc. I'm really excited about this. I love this idea, the fact that uh, you can take Green Lantern and make it essentially a uh, space cop procedural is fantastic. I'm really excited about the prospect of all of this. And rumor is, rumor is because it wasn't announced at the press conference where, whether the Green Lantern is going to be Hal Jordan, Jon Stewart, or anybody else. Rumor has it that a certain torchbearer might be the lead in this show. You all know how much I love Kyle Rayner. You know how much he is my Green Lantern. He was the Green Lantern when I was growing up. And you know how much I would love to um, possibly play that character. So uh, I'm going to be keeping a big eye on this. I, um, I love this idea. I've got ideas. I've got lots of ideas. Uh, so Green Lantern, big news. Hoping for more in the coming weeks. We shouldn't expect this for a long time. But the announcement of it, the fact that we know it's coming, is a big deal. And I think that is definitely something worth celebrating.
It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are reviewing season eight, the final season of Arrow. And um, man, man, there's a lot in this episode. <laughs> there's just a lot. Um, so we are reviewing episode number three entitled Leap of Faith. And um, God. It's so interesting what they're doing with this. There's only eight episodes in the season. Uh, we've got five more? Five more episodes until uh, Crisis. And I just, mm, I just don't know how to feel. Um, so uh, kicking this off, we're going to start off. We're going we're gonna to get to that ridiculous ending. Um but starting off, uh, what I've noticed, and I'm sure I'm the last person to have noticed this, is that every episode, the opening, starts with the uh, title card from a previous season. Like, episode one had the title card from the first season. Episode two had the title card from the second season. And episode three had the title card from season three, which was the season pretty much dominated by the League of Assassins. Um... A lot of people uh, kind of associate season three as the low point of the show. Um, I don't know exactly how I would rate that. I might end up doing a rating of each season. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but season three is also really represented by a specific location, that being Nanda Parbat, which is where most of the action happens in this episode. So... Ollie is looking for answers. He's trying to find out who the monitor is, trying to get any more info on him. And he figures the one place that he'll be able to find info on an ancient being is from Raish al Ghul. Uh, Raish al Ghul being dead and everything, he would have kept records within his League of Assassins. And so he travels to Nanda Parbat and runs into Thea. I'm really, really excited about seeing Thea. Um, even though she got an incredible send-off in season six, I I just I love seeing the two of them together. Just Thea and Ollie from the beginning, from the very first episode, were, you know, just so tight-knit. And I loved seeing them together again this episode. It was just it was fantastic. Uh, you find out that Thea finished destroying all of the Lazarus pits, but that she's been hunting down the Xanatos the Guild, led by Athena. And the two of them are brought to Talia al Ghul. So we get both of the daughters of a specific Raish at different times, as well as, at one point, the Raish. So I... Ah, man. I love... I really, really love having the two of them together, having Ollie and Thea together. And throwing in Talia is good, but I really wish it would have been Nyssa. I don't know why we haven't seen her. I get that she's supposed to be watching over uh, Felicity and Mia, and that the two of them are pretty much off the board for the season. But I... I, I feel like, especially with season three, where Nyssa played such a huge role, if we're going episode by season, um, she should have had a big moment here. And I'm hoping, because she was the Al Ghul daughter that we really got connected to throughout this show, that 
her not being there yet is kind of a, uh, they're saving her for something big later on. So here's hoping for that. But having Talia was cool, getting to see her and Thea battle for the right to uh, Raisha's sword was really cool at the end as well. And then them pretty much taking out the rest of the Xanatos Guild as well as Athena. Um, I liked it. I liked it. I thought it was really well done. Uh, gave a great send-off for Thea, uh, which I'll talk about in a second. But we also, in present day, got to see an adventure with Diggle and Lila. We found out last episode that Lila has been working with the Monitor for an unknown amount of time. We do know during the crisis she is going to become Harbinger. And uh, we got to see seeds planted for the future because... Um, Still in Hong Kong, Diggle has been recruited by Lila to rescue the son and wife of one of their operatives. That operative being Bronze Tiger. So we get to see little baby Connor back when he's just a little kid along with his mother Sandra. So, and just for you all, they did mention that Sandra's full name is Sandra Hawk. So, Connor Hawk, we got, yeah, you get it, you get it. But, I really liked this. It harkened back to like some of the old school first and second seasons where uh, Diggle and Lila were doing uh, Suicide Squad missions, which I really enjoyed. I loved those episodes. Um, I will still never forgive DC for killing off all of their Suicide Squad members just so that we could have that not great movie. Um, but I really like the stuff that they did here. They were able to rescue Connor and Sandra, and Connor met Diggle for the first time, and we know that he's later on going to be uh, adopted and inspired by Diggle and Lila's bravery. We don't know what's going to happen to his mom and his father. We just don't know, but we, that might be kind of our B plot thread for Diggle throughout this season. But... Um, Talking about Thea, going back to Thea, I I loved, I loved the goodbye scene that they had. Um, the dialogue between them could almost, they walked right up to the line of breaking the fourth wall uh, with Thea basically saying, you know, I'm going to miss you. I miss you all the time. Um, and when they hug, I didn't see Ollie getting emotional. I saw Stephen Amell getting emotional at saying goodbye to Willa Holland for the last time. It was it was heart-wrenching stuff. Like, he's saying goodbye to his sister. And you could tell that he was just holding on for dear life. And his face is all scrunched up. He's trying not to cry, but he can't help it. Just, it was really, really well done. An amazing send-off. Um, we did get to see... It was a little, a little corny, but... Um, Thea and Talia are going to basically rebuild the League of Assassins, but make it a League of Heroes. It's a really, it's kind of a lame name. And we know that, you know, the Justice League and stuff is a thing. So we don't know exactly what's going to come of that. That's probably nothing. But um, I did like the ending that we got for her character. She did mention Roy as well. I'm waiting for him to show up in the season, but we'll see. Um... But overall, loved seeing Thea again. I have really enjoyed seeing these characters return for each episode so far throughout, uh, pretty much just throughout the seasons, so I, or throughout the episodes, so I really enjoyed that. Jumping into 2040, which is what everybody's going to be talking about when it comes to this episode. 
Um, they killed Zoe. They killed Zoe. And I think for me, it was shocking just because we've gotten to meet Zoe in present day. She's the daughter of, uh, of Renee. And I just, mm, it just, it makes, I have mixed feelings on this. It was a shocking death. It was really well done. You didn't expect it. But at the same time, um, it just, it, for me as a person who really wants um, all of this stuff to succeed and be good, I don't know how I feel about Mia at this point. Uh, Mia has been kind of unlikable this whole season. Like, I get, like, they're trying to make it out so that she's, you know, as stubborn as her father and, you know, as take charge as her mother. And I get it, but, like, she's alienating all of her team and really... They had a plan. William had a plan to use himself as bait to draw out JJ and the Deathstroke gang to give them a tactical advantage to go after him. But Mia threw it away because, no, she just wants to, you know, run in there, guns blazing, and fight. And I get it, but it just... As a viewer, Mia is responsible for Zoe's death. And while it was um, immediately evident on her face that she recognizes this... I think it's a shame that it happened. I think it's not a good thing that your uh, that this character that we had all really gotten attached to was killed off because of the actions of who's supposed to be your lead when it comes to the 2040 segments. But I don't know. I just I don't know how to feel about that stuff. However, Right after she dies, they're all enveloped in a white light. We're not sure exactly what is going on with that. But then we see in the Arrow Cave that uh, Mia, William, and Connor have all been brought to modern day. Um, some, uh, pardon the language, some fuckery is going on. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with these remaining episodes, but I am really interested to see what happens here. So that is the weekly review for episode three titled um, Leap of Faith. We will see what happens next week. Same geek time, same geek channel, of course. But for now, let's kick it on over to this week's Comics Countdown. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop or on Comixology or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. We'll be talking about each book's title, the creative team behind each book, as well as a brief synopsis of each book as well. And of course, each synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. If you have a synopsis voice you would like me to try out, feel free to request that on either our social medias instagram or twitter at geeksplained pod or through email because i'm an old man i still read emails to geeksplained at gmail.com but before we talk about this week's books we got to take a look back at last week with the geeksplained pick of the week of last week and for the first time in the geeksplained pick of the week of last week history the 
Pick of the week of last week was not even a book that we talked about on this week's Comics Countdown last week. Um, I'm a little embarrassed to say that because I thought I had a pretty good handle on the books that I was picking up. But this book uh, was recommended to me by Leland, who works over at the comic shop that I uh, frequent each week. And I was really surprised I wasn't going to pick this book up, but he convinced me to give it a shot, and I absolutely loved it. And that is Marauders number one. This is, of course, part of the Dawn of X line of books, written by Jerry Dugan, or Duggan, I mispronounced her name, and I apologize, with art by Matteo Loli, or Lolly, and I also pronounced, mispronounced your name, and I apologize for that. And um, this book was just so much fun. I was really surprised. <laughs> I thought for sure uh, it was going to be Curse of the White Knight, number four of eight, and it was very close between these two. Both of them were very good books, but this one just ekes out the win this week because of just how much fun I had with this book. It was so good. Uh, for those of you who don't know or don't know anything about the book, let me do the quick uh, synopsis since it wasn't part of the synopsises, synopsis from last week. So here we go. The X-Men Sail at Dawn. Even in this glorious new dawn, mutant kind faces hardships and oppression from their human counterparts. Led by Captain Kate Pride and funded by Emma Frost and the Hellfire Trading Company, Marauders Storm, Pyro, Bishop, and Iceman sail the seas of the world to protect those hated and feared. This book was so good. Um, so the premise is uh, there's a lot of mutants that have been given the call to come to Krakoa, but some of them like Kitty Pride can't go through the Krakoan gates. Um, so they're not able to go, so they have to go the long way. In comes Emma Frost and the Hellfire Trading Company who fashion uh, Kitty Pride, wanting to go by Kate Pride now. Um, this huge-ass ship to transport all of these mutants from all around the world. So this is going to be basically like mutant pirates going from uh, country to country, trying to ferry people from their wherever they are to uh, Krakoa. And immediately you get on, um, on board with it. Like, I don't even mean to make that pun, but it's such a fun book. Uh, the cast is great having Kitty Pride, who has... Finally made the jump to Kate. She is the star of this book, and rightfully so. She's fantastic. Having Iceman and Pyro on the same boat in the same book is just hilarious. Emma Frost is fantastic. Storm is fantastic. Bishop is okay. I'm not super into the comic book version of Bishop. Uh, he's never been somebody who's really impressed me, but I'm looking forward to seeing if he can change my mind in this book. Uh, it was just so much fun. Lots of good stuff. If you are into the uh, Jonathan Hickman X-Men run so far as it's been, but have only, like me, uh, focused on picking up X-Men number one and just going with the mainline X-Men book, I urge you to check this book out. It was a pleasant surprise to me. Big thanks to Leland for convincing me to pick it up. And um, yeah, just really, really good stuff. So definitely pick this one up. 
But that's last week. Let's talk about this week. This week we have six books for you, and a couple of them are some big, big books. Let's start it off with Nightwing Annual Number 2, written by Dan Jurgens with art by Travis Moore. Uh, this is kind of a, um, like a prequel book, basically bridging the gap between uh, Nightwing getting shot in the head to the uh, Rick Grayson arc. So this is going to show us the in-between of that. I'm interested. I We really didn't get that story when the initial um, murder of Nightwing happened. Uh, it just kind of flashed forward and he was Rick. So let's jump into the synopsis here. The bullet that shattered Nightwing's life was the shot fired by the KG Beast in the now infamous Batman number 55, and it changed the course of Dick Rick Grayson's career. Gone were the memories and alliances that once defined him, replaced by a near-blank slate persona. Now go inside those early moments of Rick's new life, his strained reunion with a stranger named Bruce Wayne, and an entire life turned upside down. But amid the chaos lies opportunity, not for Rick, but for an old foe who's been waiting a lifetime for a moment like this. Echoes of the past return in a story that tees up Nightwing's own Year of the Villain. So we do know in the mainline Nightwing book that Rick Grayson is essentially going to become the new Talon uh, for the Quarter of Owls. Um, there was some weird like shipping stuff. Uh, it was part of the countdown like two weeks ago, and it didn't um, it didn't show up. It didn't ship to any of the stores. So um, that current Nightwing issue is going to be coming out this week as well. So pick that up too. Uh, but yeah, moving on to. Fantastic Four Grand Design, number one of two, written and illustrated by Tom Scioli. Uh, this is the next step in the Grand Design uh, family of books. Uh, Ed Piscor's X-Men Grand Design was a great little, um, I believe, uh, it's a trilogy, because there was three different runs of X-Men Grand Design, each with a couple issues, where it's basically just recounting the history of that team. And it looks like this is going to be the very same thing. Uh, I'm not super familiar with uh, Tom Scioli's work, but if you're a Fantastic Four fan and you want to get caught up on all of their history... Yes, Babs? Babs is a big fan of Fantastic Four. She enjoys them very much. So, um, <laughs> let's jump into the synopsis here. Because you demanded it. The best-selling Grand Design franchise continues with Marvel's first family. Brought to you by critically acclaimed cartoonist Tom Scioli, in the sole authorship tradition made famous by Ed Piscor's X-Men Grand Design. Join the Watcher and witness how it all began. Plus, appearances by your faves, Doctor Doom, Black Panther, Namor, Galactus, Mole Man, and the Inhumans. So yeah, just like the um, History of the Marvel Universe books, this is definitely one if you enjoy your history, you're going to want to pick up. 
Next, we have Deceased, number six of six, written by Tom Taylor with art by Trevor Hairseen. Uh, this is it. This is the final chapter of DC's version of Marvel Zombies. It's been really good so far. The last issue left off with a cliffhanger of Superman getting infected, so basically everyone's uh, screwed. So, yeah, I'm interested to see how they wrap this up. So let's jump into the synopsis here. Humanity is on the brink of extinction and only a few remaining members of the Justice League stand between life and annihilation. As the remnants of humanity make their last gamble for survival, will there even be a planet left to call home when all is said and done? The senses-shattering conclusion to the year's surprise blockbuster is here. So yeah. Um, promising some big stuff. We will see exactly what happens. Next up, we have Superior Spider-Man number 12, written by Christos Gage with art by Mike Hawthorne. This book has been so good. It's so good. Um, you need to be reading this. If you're a Spider-Man fan and you haven't been reading this, you need to check this out. Um, if you can hear it, Babs is just going crazy in the background. She has had a She's in a weird mood. Stop being crazy. Just being weird. Anyway, um, let's jump into the synopsis here. Otto Octavius has faced certain death and emerged the victor. It just meant someone else had to lose. But the superior Spider-Man has learned to care for others more than himself. And Spider-Norman Osborn of Earth-44145 won't be satisfied until blood is spilled. Whose will it be? The events of this issue will change superior Spider-Man permanently. So I'm really interested in that. Uh, we did see the cliffhanger from last episode. Um, supposedly, uh, Superior Spider-Man had purged the goodness from his heart, so he might be turning back into uh, Dr. Octopus. We'll just have to see whether it's an illusion or not. I'm really excited. This book has been so good so far, and I urge you, go pick this book up. Next up, we have Batman, Annual Number 4, written by Tom King, with art by Lee Weeks and Jorge Fornes, or George Fornes. I mispronounced your name, and I apologize. Um, this is kind of a stopgap. This is going to be a uh, self-contained story, as far as we know from what we've uh, been told by Tom King. Uh, apparently, Lee Weeks was supposed to do the entire issue. It was going to be something completely different but uh he had some health issues and so he had to step away so he is tag teaming with uh horror hey or george um to bring us this uh day in the life episode of batman so let's jump into the synopsis here in this new annual it's two unique stories by batman mastermind tom king First, King reteams with Lee Weeks, his collaborator on the Eisner-nominated Batman Elmer Fudd No. 1, to send the Cape Crusader into space in search of the rare element he needs to save a life on Earth. But what terrible gauntlet of tyrants and monsters will he have to go through to reach his objective? Then, it's back down to Earth and the grimy streets of Gotham City, as King and acclaimed newcomer Jorge Fornes task the Dark Knight detective with a dangerous case only he can solve. So, sounds great. Um, I'm 
gonna miss Tom King and his weird treatment of Batman when uh, James Tyron IV takes over the book in January, but I'm excited for everything that's coming for that character and uh, for those writers as well. And finally, the big book of the week, the book I think you have to pick up, the must-buy for the week, is Dead Man Logan, number 12 of 12. Um, this is it. This is our goodbye to the character. This is the finale of the Dead Man Logan story. Old Man Logan has fought through hell and back, has gone to modern day, and then returned to the wasteland to try and um, tie up all of his loose ends before he passes. He has been looking uh, just awful, just progressively worse and worse as each issue goes by. And he is right at the, you know, Right at the crossroads. Uh, this is written by Ed Brisson with art by Mike Henderson and, of course, covers by Declan Shelby. Um, this is... Uh, it's tough because I really enjoyed the Old Man Logan character. And I think he surprised a lot of people who weren't sure how he was going to work in uh, the mainline Marvel continuity. But I'm sad to see him go. This book has been fantastic. And I'm really hoping that it sticks the landing and gives Old Man Logan the send-off he deserves. So let's jump into the synopsis here. Legends never die. And that's it. That's literally the only bit of the synopsis that we have listed here. Um, There's some big stuff that's going to happen in this book. I can feel it. So that is it for this week's Comics Countdown. Uh, to recap, we have Nightwing Annual number two, Fantastic Four Grand Design number one of two, Deceased number six of six, Superior Spider-Man number 12, Batman Annual number four, and Dead Man Logan number 12 of 12. If there are any books I missed this week, feel free to let me know, whether it's on social media or through email. I love discovering new books as well as picking up books that I didn't give a pass through before um of course this was the case with our pick of the week of last week marauders number one um i never would have picked it up if someone hadn't uh recommended it to me so thank you very much again to leland for recommending that i fell in love with the book and i think you will too go back pick it up um and that's gonna do it i'm really excited uh it's a bit of a lighter week but i have a feeling that it's gonna kick back into uh, overdrive as we head into the holiday season. And for now, it is time. We are heading into the main course, the entree, if you will, which is our watch-along of Batman 1989. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence? I think regardless of how you feel about this movie or really just how you feel about the Batman franchise in general, we can all agree that Prince was the perfect pick for this soundtrack. It's just, it's so good. It's 80s, it's it's so good. Um, so we have our main event here for the end of Joketober, the end of October, Halloween, and we are 
watching Batman 1989, uh, directed by Tim Burton, starring Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. I'm really excited about this. I haven't watched this in a while, so I'm really excited to get to uh, watch this with you guys. So I have the film all queued up. I've I had to rent it on uh, Amazon Prime. It's like four bucks. And uh, I have it all queued up here. I've got the old school Warner Brothers logo uh, right here so that we can all kind of sync up our our viewing experiences. And I'm going to go ahead and jump into it. Without further ado, let's hit play. And here we go. Oh. See, and you can already hear the uh, the Batman theme going like in the background. Warner Brothers presents, and that's really interesting that Jack Nicholson got top billing here, even though it's Batman. Um, so it's Jack Nicholson, Michael Keaton, Kim Kim Bassinger. I forgot she's Vicky Vale. A Goober Peters company, so John Peters, the guy who famously tried to put a giant spider in a Superman film. A Tim Burton film. Simple logo. Simple logo is that Times New Roman. Oh, God, I love this theme. Da -da 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 -da. So, I think it's really interesting how much all of what we know as Batman had uh, a lot of its roots here in this film. Um, this Billy D. Williams. Oh, the Two-Face we never got. We should have gotten that. Michael Goff, um, he plays Alfred throughout pretty much all of these Batman films up until uh, Batman Begins. Super. I still, I don't know what we're flying through. We're just going through like a cave, it looks like. Miss Passenger's costumes. So, Vicky Vale's costumes were done by someone completely different. Music by Danny Elfman. Songs written and performed by Prince. Ray Lovejoy. That's a cool name. But, uh, yeah, like the Batman the Animated Series was heavily influenced by this and Batman Returns. So, good stuff all around. And this was before Bill Finger got his just just dues on this. Screenplay by Sam Hamm and Warren Scarron. John Peters and Peter Goober. Oh, we're flying through the Batman signal the whole time. Okay. Directed by Tim Burton. Gotham City, real simple. See, and you can tell here, like, the gothic, gritty kind of art deco. This looks, like, real gritty. <laughs> Monarch Theater. Oh, you can, already hear the you can already hear the prints going on. Just in the background.
Right now, you can obviously tell this isn't the Waynes because they would have Alfred out there with them. And now we know that the man's name is Harold. Oh, walking through a city with a map, a full-blown map. Did that prostitute just try to solicit a child? Yeah, let's just walk through this dark alleyway where you can definitely see people are sketchy as hell. They're definitely tourists. They've never been here before. Oh, Crime Alley. Oh, that guy looks gross. Excellent makeup design here. Oh! Whoa! <laughs> Don't scream. That guy have an earring? Oh, and she screams. He told you not to scream. Alright, this is the... Oh my god, that's animated so bad. Maybe that's just... Maybe it's because I'm watching this in HD, but like... Ugh. Oh my god, that was foreshadowing. That was foreshadowing for Batman and Robin. Never leave home without it. The bat. Oh, first image we get of the Batman. <laughs> These tourists were walking with an awful lot of money. Oh, there he is! The Keaton Batman. Very intimidating. <laughs> he's back up. And he's just spreading his wings again. There's no like... Ooh. Kick through the door. <laughs> that battering. That is an intense looking guy. Ah, he said it! There it is! You know, say what you will about Keaton's, you know, his costume, his cowl not allowing him to, like, turn his head, but he had that Batman voice spot on immediately. It's terrifying at the same time. It's just like, I want you to tell all your friends. Harvey Dent, district attorney. For mayor. Oh.
Oh, no. For a new district attorney. Okay. What a missed opportunity with Billy D. Williams. He could he would have been a great two-face. Bruce Wayne, for some reason, has a... Is that Madonna? That is Madonna. Oh, the 80s. We got our first look at Jack Napier. Madonna look alike. enjoy this because this is the most reserved that Jack Nicholson gets in this film. Oh, serve it up on Not Madonna. Lieutenant Bullock. Not Lieutenant Bullock. Lieutenant Eckert. So with all this like grim and gritty stuff, like Knox feels like he walked in from like a completely different movie. Lieutenant, every punk in this town is scared stiff. Ah-cha-cha. Sketchy music, sketchy people. Is, is there, is that our boy in the background? Is that Bob? The only Joker henchman to ever get his own action figure. 
Pirates on the take. Jack. Oh, Bob is up right away. The Proto-Joker laugh. What a weird line. Gotham celebrating its 200th and its 200th birthday. Second centennial. Classic Gotham, like, everybody knows Grissom's the bad guy, but nobody is able to do anything about it. <laughs> Bob Kane! That's funny. What a dick. Wow. 80s were a special time, folks. Vicky Vale. Wow. This is, uh... Sexual harassment right away. Well, that's creepy. I like bats. Ooh. away for a second grab something to drink already wearing the purple suits
Don't you think it'd be weird if you s took a card out of your deck and it suspiciously looked like your face? Bye not, Madonna. Oh, he knows. Why did he say it like that? That's all, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. That's all. Snake rattle. These sound cues are super on point. Eckhart. And the guy on the other side's like, um, that's like someone very specific. Can I ask who's calling? Oh. Crime boss Grissom? Oh, okay. Let me just patch you through to our most corrupt lieutenant. Save the fe save the festival? Isn't this being put on by the city? By the rich and elite? Acting like it's a county fair at Pawnee, Indiana. Alfred! <laughs> Michael Goff, the man. Oh, Alfred knows. He's got the eye. That 80s ruffle fashion. Oh, his buddy's like, why don't you just tell her you're Bruce Wayne? That was a dick move. He just walks away. Boom, Alfred's there. So good. And this is honestly, this is a great introduction to him because like, we haven't seen Bruce until this point. Alfred the man, super good. We haven't seen Bruce until this point. If you don't know automatically who Michael Keaton is, who Bruce is, you don't know who this guy is. It's very uh, Great Gatsby in that way. That same tie that we're all wearing. <laughs> God, 
Billy D. Williams, so good. Such a missed opportunity. Is anybody going to mention the mayor staring directly into camera? Anonymous tip from crime boss Grissom on the phone, who's suspiciously called Lieutenant Eckert. This is unequivocally the most useless form of Commissioner Gordon. And I am so glad that they decided to go with Gary Oldman for the um, for the Nolan films because he just he blows it out of the water. I'm really excited about um, Jeffrey Wright. There's our Gatsby. I mean, Wayne. King of the Wicker People. Who? Boom! Roasted! And Vicky's like, what the, what the hell? Corto Maltese. Famous location. All oh, the rich, the life of rich people. Uh, no one's actually called it Batman. Um, that's specific. Power move. So what's your excuse, man? What a creep! Now, how many other rooms does he have those giant-ass mirrors in? Only the latest in 80s technology. Look, a VCR player! Oh. The 
80s back computer. Robert, what's up? Like it's his old drinking buddy. Oh my god. I kind of like the idea of Bruce Wayne wearing glasses. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I think, especially on Keaton's Bruce Wayne, it makes sense. Did he just take the time to make these wanted posters for this op? And if not, he's wanted by the police, but he's just strolling around day to day. You gotta love 80s mob fashion. And Bob is definitely the most raggedy out of all of them. <laughs> so I guess when you're the number one guy, you have to look worse than everybody else. Oh, betrayal! Watch it. Again, so reserved. So reserved. Ooh! Bob, look out! Ooh! Still in his bow tie? What cover?! They already started shooting at each other and you've got a megaphone! Where did my most corrupt police lieutenant go? Well, I think since Jack's doing this, we can all agree that this whole thing is his fault. How are they not getting shot? They're standing in open air. There's no cover. Oh, there's our Batman. Ooh. That guy's definitely hanging by his... Okay, I guess it's his shoulder. It definitely looked like his neck. See, and this is what I'm talking about. Like, Commissioner Gordon in this is just like, oh my god. Just as a bystander the whole time. Here's Jackie. Spewing chemicals. This is doing nothing to anybody. Like, these are chemicals! Why is everyone just walking through them? Boom! See, Batman's the only one getting results. No one's getting shot. Everybody's a super bad shot in Gotham, I guess. Ooh, swish that cape.
Jack Nicholson is a spry man. Gordon doing nothing as usual. I'm Batman. Bob always coming in clutch. I would love to see a Bob versus Alfred battle. On who's the better number one guy. What was that look he was giving him? Oh. He just, like, wandered over there to walk away. Yeah, I get wrecked, Eckhart. Bullock wouldn't have done that. Oh! There he goes. Into the chemicals. God damn it. <laughs> oh, the Keaton turn. The Keaton turn. Yes. Smoke bomb. You gonna tell those guys too? It's not Ace Chemicals, it's Axis Chemicals. Here we go, the birth of the Joker. I think he's just lounging on his desk. I hope that's Vicky's car. <laughs> well done, framing. 
Oh, rich people. Where's Alfred to do this? You can tell he, this Bruce Wayne's never been on a date before. Because she's been here before. For your party. See, in the, uh, you forget after a certain amount of time how charming Michael Keaton is. That's why Alfred wasn't helping out. He's already ready for bed. If anyone can find me those wine glasses, I would love that for Christmas. He's like, all right, time for more alcohol when we talk about... Is he mixing two different wines? I know, it's a weird thing. Working working at a steakhouse and wine bar. You notice these kind of things. <laughs> this is the second time you've met me. How do you know me? That is the sketchiest looking surgery sign I've ever seen in my life. He got there quick. What a great scene. 
What a great scene. Well, you've had a lot of wine. Wow, okay, Vicky. Going straight to it. On the first date, no less. You got vault doors in your bathroom? You live in your office? Here we go. Well, I mean, to be fair, you you kind of brought that on yourself, man. Oh, he knows. He knows he's dead. Get you that last drink, old man. Classic Joker. And if you look at him, how he is here, if you put that up against his original appearances in the Golden Age, it's one for one. Really, really well done by the costume and hair department. And the makeup department as well. Big night for both of these guys, huh? He's left her to go out on patrol because he's Batman. Oh my god, I forgot. Oh, I forgot he sleeps upside down. Oh my god. Oh, I forgot. That's amazing. <laughs> so good. Hashtag my Batman. 
Wait till they get a load of me. How did he end up there? Gotta attach super quick. Alfred's up and at him. Oh, Alfred, you blew it! You blew it! Not Madonna re-enters the scene. <laughs> he had time to go out and get that purple robe? Don't do it, Tony. <laughs> oh, got him. Sorry, Tony. What a great scene. You can kind of see the scene from The Dark Knight where Joker goes into all the mobs. Very uh, reminiscent of this, for sure. Uh, 
uh, need some encouragement. A guy. <laughs> You're inside, Bob. You're indoors. Oh, Bob. Bob's the best. Cold-blooded. Jack Nicholson, killing it. Fantastic scene. And such a different version of the Joker as well. What have you done? Now you're focused on doing your job when you've been trying to get in her pants the whole time? Because everyone wears their peacoats with the lapels popped. Vicky's being a little stalkerish here. Just a little. The newest, hippest cars. Something I wish they had leaned into a little bit more with this film, and you see it in other films and other media when it comes to Gotham, is kind of blending. Like, I liked how they did it in the, uh, the animated series where pretty much all the technological stuff was straight out of the 1920s and 30s. But they still had like modern day stuff like cell phones and stuff like that. Like you can tell from the architecture here that this is like, this is a soundstage. But they did a really good job of making sure that you could tell that this was a blend of different eras. And that's my preferred Gotham City. Bruce Wayne every year. Leaves roses for his parents on the day of their murder. I feel like with someone as high profile, this doesn't feel like a crime alley, though, per se. Don't touch the roses! I feel like someone as high profile as Bruce Wayne, like people would know that he does this every year. Wayne casually strolling to City Hall.
He gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. Asking the real questions. That little girl is not creeped out by this man at all. And the mom's just like, yeah, look at that weirdo. Only Bruce seems to notice how awful this mime is. And now there's a second one. Who is just as bad. <laughs> Bob. Oh, classic Joker showing up in a weird ass suit as a ringmaster. Oh, quill to the throat. That's great. That is a hell of an entrance for Mr. Joker. What is Bruce doing? I know I just lied to you about being out of town. But I must away. My people need me. God, he's so charismatic, Billy D. And someone's a little jealous. <laughs> He just to have it like propped up just in case he needs to punch the TV. <laughs> Alfred's so good. Ugh. That one time. <laughs> Next movie. Jack Napier's, who is this? 
and way out of your league, sir. You mean that's an actual that's an actual street, Vicky. That's not an alleyway. There are businesses, storefronts. When did she take those pictures? And how did he not see her? Just <laughs> flings the folder behind him. Jesus. What does that even mean? I'm of a mind that makes a mookie. Ah, yes. Top-notch security at Axis Chemical. Did he... Did we ever establish that he took control of that factory? I thought they were breaking into it. I don't know. Action news. All right, Becky. <laughs> because they're models, of course. And it's the 80s. Ha 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 ha. 
Here we go. Love that joker. <laughs> the information you requested off screen. When did they establish science, chemistry, and art? He doesn't seem like the type. See, and this is the problem I kind of have with this version of the Joker, is that he has, like, a definitive origin. I've talked about before how my preferred Joker has no origin. He's just kind of a force of nature. And what... Look a little raggedy there. Everyone's a little raggedy. He's like, I'm on the phone. See, this is something I think is interesting. It's not now, not Madonna. <gasps> Could it be how we finally reached the point? See, this is like you see like a blend of different like eras. Like, what is that guy wearing? Um you see, like, different, like, Art Deco. You see some uh, neo-Gothic influences, along with, like, modern 80s, like, fashion and stuff. I like my Gotham to be, like, a moment, like, a weird amalgam of time periods. 
I know you said you'd be out of town. And then the last time I saw you, you just mysteriously ran away. But sure, let's go meet for dinner at a museum. Weird. What does that say? Flugel... Flugelheim Museum? They have a full-service restaurant? I didn't know Bruce Wayne owned crayons. Nobody cared who I was until I put on the mask. Ah, poor job, busboy. Poor job. Thought you were safe in the art. I was born by it. Molded by it. I didn't see a painting until I was a man. Here we go. Get it, Lawrence. The number two guy. Just as amazing and ridiculous as I remember. That has excellent penmanship. Classic Silver Age Joker nonsense. And that's what I like about this version. This It kind of mixes the Golden and Silver Age versions of the character. My question... Why would he bother with the normal skin makeup after the public has already seen him in the white makeup and all of his enemies are dead. What a gentleman. Bringing over bubbly and Candlelit meal. I'll give you a hundred dollars for it. There are no pictures of Spider-Man in here. 
She's like so entranced, like, oh, really? You mean that? I think that's a good good way to describe this version of the Joker, a homicidal art artist. What is that weird accent? Oh, Jack, you said I could watch you improve the paintings. Not Madonna! Great line. <laughs> Why are you helping him? You just... Finally! I love that you can always see the wires of him coming in. Hold on. They're just doors, Vicky. Jesus. The one that's not purple. Obviously. <laughs> Love this Batmobile. Love this Batmobile. Apparently this one was really drivable. They put an actual, like, jet turbine. Which made it, like, the most unruly thing to drive and maneuver.
Oh, there we go. Good turns. And apparently, again, that's something that they had to come up with because the Batmobile, just how it was designed, had a hard time getting around corners. So what they did was they made that to give it the ability to turn. And I think that's super cool that they kind of had to come up with that kind of stuff on the fly. just gonna leave the Batmobile there heels off <laughs> he runs that's so amazing Keaton turn. <laughs> Looking up is even worse. He's got to do a full back bend to look up. Swoop. There's no way that little bitty cable could support both of them. Nice. Graceful as a swan. Do you think he has a wallet? I don't think we ever established that she had her camera with her, which I think is interesting. Oh, I forgot about this guy. One Punch Man. Excellent fight choreography. Don't do it, Bob! Escape! Good man. That huge-ass camera, where was she hiding it the whole time? Yeah. 
Driving through the outskirts of Gotham City. So you would think that Batman has, like, precautions for people, like, taking his mask off. But apparently not. Don't you ignore me. <laughs> ba -ba -ba. I think the the animated series Batmobile is probably still my favorite, but this is a close second. And I actually, I really liked the, um, the, uh, Batfleck Batmobile. I thought that was really cool and a good, like, mix of the different variations of the Batmobile that we've seen in the past. Like, the tank from, like, Arkham Knight or the Nolan films. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, mixed with, like, this kind of aesthetic. What if she had just stumbled off? Just walked right off that platform? That's so strange. That's exactly how Bruce Wayne sleeps. Like, they could have... They could not have done a worse job of keeping Bruce's identity secret in this film. Like, from the moment that she saw him sleeping upside down, that should have been a big indicator right away. Because I'm Batman. <clears throat> Excellent lighting. Well, they don't know me, okay? That's really sketchy. Like, really sketchy of Batman.
Dude, give up. standing right next to him. I love how much, like, the news anchors apparently, like, caked on makeup and stuff because the moment that they're not able to use it like they get look like he's got like warts and like grossness just all these ridiculous ladders like, it's an adventure just to go from one place to another in the Batcave. And how how did Alfred get up there? That's a wall behind him. Oh no, there's a door. Okay. But then why have the separation of... I don't know. The Keaton Batcave is baffling to me. Oh, she pissed. Damn, Bruce. All right. I'm Batman. <laughs> no, I'm a male stripper, damn it. How many layers is he wearing? Say you're Batman. 
You've said this so many times. It's going to come in handy later. I love how Lawrence is just there to provide a soundtrack. Oh, Bob! A little quick on the draw there, Bob. Be cool like Lawrence. Let's get nuts. <laughs> All of these great one-liners from this Joker, man. Super good stuff. But the only one who could get shot and survive is 
someone just like Batman. But not Batman. How does everyone not know this? I just find that really strange. He was a, a super public figure, though I guess not, like, in this version, since no one knows what he looks like. Makes him sleep upside down, just like a... <gasps> oh... How did you not see that it was directly next to you? This giant vault door for his bat suit. Dang, Alfred. I've seen that. I've seen that spot on the Warner Brothers lot. Again, why does he go with the regular face makeup when people have already seen him with the white face and green hair? Besides Jack Nicholson just not wanting to put on the makeup and everything. See, this is a classic Joker 
scheme. Fire. Police report is just a bunch of newspaper clippings. And I like that in this film, we don't ever, like... It isn't an origin story per se. This is the first film featuring him, and he's already been at this for years. We don't know how many years, but you, we've gone... We're now looking at this. We've got an hour and a half before we get any kind of flashback to his origin. And it's not him becoming this character. It's just showing us, hey, this is what happened to him. We're finally, like, for people who are getting introduced to this character for the first time, now we're getting the explanation of what's happened to him at the same time that Vicky and Knox are doing the research and finding out as well. Though, again, they should already know this. Like, there were newspaper clippings. Knox is from Gotham. Like, you could be forgiven for Vicky not knowing, but Knox should know. Oh, Bruce. So happy. Really, the last time he ever was truly happy. Hell, man. His voice changed a lot in 20 years. Now have the reveal that the Joker killed Batman's parents. I'm not personally a huge fan of that revelation. Alfred, what the hell? Dick move, Alfred. He didn't clear this. This isn't okay. She's been dating him for a couple days. Imagine he's like staring down Alfred right now. He's like, you dick. Not cool, Alfred. Not cool. Like three days ago. 
you know, for everybody not being able to use deodorant or makeup or anything, Vicky is still looking very good. As is Bruce. Ah, love that. Love that line. It's one of my favorite lines from Keaton. He's out there right now, and I gotta go to work. Lights? Perfect. <laughs> Back to Axis Chemicals, which somehow Napier owns. Not a huge fan of there being guns in the Batmobile. But this is where we really start to get into Tim Burton's um, artistic vision, I guess. This too. Definitely just killed those guys. Definitely killed all of them. So it's like from here on that I start to have major problems with Burton's vision of Batman. Because this is literally the only chemical plant in town. Keaton, turn! Joker copter! Classic. You ready for another Prince song? Because it's ready for you. Bob's awkward dancing. He's having such a fun time! Bob! Joker throwing out all the money. <laughs> and this is what I'm talking about. Like, I want my Joker to have fun. And you can tell he's having fun here. Throwing out twenty million dollars. Soon everyone's gonna realize the joke in all this. 
even though I fundamentally disagree with a lot of his vision for Batman, Tim Burton has a real knack for iconography. He does a really great job at setting up images that you will remember. Dude, you knew this. Why are you surprised? Oh, there's that guy. That guy he kicked out when he had the double swords. Batwing! Speaking of iconography, pretty soon we'll be getting one of the most iconic uh, moments, one of the most iconic pictures in the entire film. Here we go. It's a trap! Sending out Joker gas on all the mass amount of people who have run out into the streets to get free money. <laughs> Did he just fawns his car? Hiya. What is he doing? Why were those guys holding on? Why were they holding on to the parade floats in the first place? What happened to his mask? Great job, Vicky. 
Snip. Another iconic Joker line. My balloons. <laughs> He's very upset about his balloons. Here they go, off into the sky to never hurt anyone ever again. I'll just send that toxic poisonous gas into the atmosphere. He, he's very upset. Bob! Poor Bob. We knew this time would come. Here we go. You ready for this? Boom! Nice. Oh, sounded like a TIE fighter there for a second. Come on, hit me. Again, Dark Knight pulled directly from this. Except Christian Bale didn't use rockets and guns. Those people are dead. He's looking to kill the Joker. How did he miss? <laughs> Amazing. That's a mighty strong boomstick you got there, mister.
Alright, that gun just took out the Batwing. That's a little... A little overkill. On a single person, Joker. Always has to end in a church. Batman's pissed. And we've seen this before, you know, Joker and Batman confrontations ending in a church. We've seen it in Arkham Origins. We've seen it in um, numerous Batman video games and comics and films as well. But I think with the um, gothic properties of this specific film, I think it works really well here. Batman has lost the element of surprise. A white slipper. All right, you creep. Batman is way further down than he should be. Oh, now the cops show up. Commissioner Gordon, God, you suck. What have you done? Nothing. You're a DNG, a do-nothing Gordon. You know, we don't see the acid flower enough nowadays, and I'd like to see it more often. Nice. Dropping the bell. Another shoe. They must have gone this way. Eh. I'm an old man. I tried to push it by myself and it didn't budge. 
I guess there's nothing we can do here. Let's head back to the station. I guess we'll just stare up at the top of this... The top of this cathedral and just hope something happens. The rematch! Done. Lawrence! Oh, you should have stayed on soundtrack, man. Vicky at this point has devolved into a Scream Queen, which I mean, she's kind of been throughout the entire film, but at least she had dialogue. Now, though, she is just at the behest of the Joker. Ole! Dang! Where has this guy been the whole time? Secretly, what everyone didn't know is that this is actually Bronze Tiger. And he is kicking Batman's ass. Dude, Batman, Jesus! Okay, he's definitely dead. Man! You know, we talk about it a lot about Batman's kill count when it comes to the Tim Burton movies, but you never really realize, it doesn't really hit you until you're there watching it. And I just, I mean, I knew the enormous body count that he has in Batman Returns. And I remember him using guns on the Batwing and on the Batmobile, but like, 
I don't know, man. Like, it, it kind of it bothers me how just willy-nilly he kills people. Here, in this one. I want to be your new not Madonna. Whoa! I kind of love that that wasn't even in his Batman voice. Whatever you want to say, I think this is the right way any Batman-Joker confrontation should go. Because Joker shouldn't... Ah, nice. Joker shouldn't be a physical match for Batman. He just shouldn't. That's what makes his scheming so important. Him enlisting the services of others. Looks suspiciously like Michael Myers there. Did they ever establish that Joker realizes that he knows who Batman is and that he killed his parents? Did they have that conversation? Did I miss that? He's screaming all over again. Joker Copter? It's definitely been more than 10 minutes. The most rickety looking rope ladder. Psych, you thought.
어? 어어 Classic Joker being undone by his own hubris. There he goes. Another fatality. Oh, man. Oh! Ka-chunk. Locked in. Well, this was fun. <laughs> he made quite an impression on the ground. I mean, I knew I know he's falling from a pretty from pretty high up, but like he's still just a guy. What a random character. You already missed half the quote. Gordon didn't even do that. Batman made it for him. What a loser. Did you forget where we parked?
Oh, that score. Danny Elfman, man. Knows what he's doing. Da, da, da. And that's it. That is Batman 1989. Um... Overall, you know, it was a great watch. I haven't seen it in years, and getting to watch it again was just, uh, it was a ton of fun. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, There are definitely some things that I don't think have aged very well. Uh, Some of the effects, the writing um, is very, very very 80s, and there's a lot of um, what most people would really hammer away at when it comes to, like, plot conveniences, but overall a great time, a great first introduction to Batman for mainstream audiences, and you can really understand why it went so well, and why people loved it so much, enough to make Warner Brothers give Tim Burton full pass at whatever he wanted to do with Batman Returns, which I think personally is a weaker film than this. Um... Because you can tell that with this one, Tim Burton's distinct style and flavors there, but he still has to answer to the higher-ups. Where with um, uh, Batman Returns, he, you know, training wheels were off, he had no, you know, supervision when it came to that kind of stuff. So he really got to stretch his wings, pardon the pun, uh, with that film, and for better and for worse, I think. But... With this one, um, just a couple thoughts. Nicholson's Joker, I forgot how good he is in the role. I really liked it. Like I said, he really uh, blends together the Golden and Silver Age versions of the character. Um, Michael Keaton, man, so, 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 so good. I forgot how charming he was as... Bruce Wayne, and I thought he was fantastic as Batman. You know, having the Batman voice, you don't need a voice modulator. You don't need to go really deep like this, like Christian Bale did. You All you need is, like, an intimidating, you know, lower register, and I think it works. Um, definitely not the best Batsuit, I would say. I really... I, I love the Batman v Superman Batsuit, just for the simplicity of it. Uh, the fact that he could turn his head, but it didn't look like motocross armor. Um, I really, really dug it. But this one, I think, was good for what the time was. Um, giving him the all-black silhouette with just, like, the gold belt and the gold uh, bat symbol, I thought, worked. Uh, the cowl, not a huge fan of, uh, just because it makes him very top-heavy. Like, the cowl looks too big on his body, and it gives him a weird uh, silhouette and a weird profile. But love the cape, love the uh, striking poses that he does with it, big fan of that. And, um, I mean, pretty much everybody else in the film you don't really need or care about. Um, Vicky Vale, she seems really intriguing at the beginning, but as the movie goes on, she just, you lose a lot of what makes her interesting. Um, And then, again, she just kind of devolves into a scream queen by the end. Um, Alfred, Michael Goff, 
Chef's Kiss. Amazing. Super good. He is fantastic. And uh, trying to think of if there's anybody else I'm forgetting. Uh, Billy D. Williams, again. Um, I wish we had gotten more of him in the Harvey Dent role. Uh, Bob. Moment of silence for Bob. And I think that's enough. Um, he's... Uh, I want to see him show up again in the comics or in um, animation. Just something. Because Bob deserves better. So that does it for this week's episode. That does it for Joketober. That does it for the Halloween season. Thank you very much for joining me on this. I had a great time. I hope you did too. Uh, tune in next week, which kicks off November. We're going to be heading into the holiday season here. And uh, yeah, really excited. Um, I'm glad we did this. I'm glad we watched this film. It's been a while, and I'm glad that we were able to kind of coincide it with uh, Joketober. It's been 30 years since this film has come out. That's crazy to me. Um, so you can tell that, like I said, the film's aged a little bit, but it's still a great watch, a great time, and a great Batman story. So uh, tune in next week for uh, our next chapter when it comes to Geek Explained, episode 81, same geek time, same geek channel. And for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Happy Halloween, and we will see you next time.